I want to talk to you this morning about the real joy of a good life. The real joy of a good life. How many of you are familiar with this phrase, good enough? Can I see your hand? Good enough. I, I, I've never really liked that phrase. I struggled with that phrase. I've never wanted a sermon just to be good enough. I've never wanted to do a job just good enough. And a few years ago in one of our board meetings, <clears throat> one of our our board members, we had been working on something, and he looked at me, and he says, Pastor, I think this is good enough. And I didn't say anything because I, I wanted to wait and talk to them later. And so as we talked later, he said, you know, in our company, he says, there are times when we ship a product, and we know it could be better. We know it could be much better, but it's good enough to go to market. And we know we may have to do some corrections. We may have to do some recalls. But it's good enough because if we don't go ahead and launch where we're good enough at, he said, then we will never launch the product. And I've since looked into that through companies and other organizations about this phrase, good enough. Now, there are some things that I just don't attempt to do because I know that I would get to a point with it and go, that's good enough. My daughter is especially gifted with anything that comes from Ikea. She can put it together. The first time Becky bought something home from Ikea and had me go get it out of the car and says, put it together, I went, that's not happening. It's just not happening. I looked at the instructions, I tried, and, and it just, what I got finished with was nothing compared to what was in the box. She's told you that story before. It was good enough in my opinion, but it wasn't good enough in Becky's opinion. What we discovered, Amy is just gifted with this. She just knows how to make everything work and where every screw and bolt. She's kind of like Christopher in that. Sometimes I have thought in my life, how am I going to be good enough for God? Sometimes I've thought about, how am I going to be a good enough Christian, a good enough husband, a good enough dad, a good enough pastor, because I'm always conscious of those flaws in my life. Is any of you, do you ever experience that in your life where you, you're so aware of the flaws in your life that you can't see what's good in your life? And those verses of Scripture, especially when I was younger, just seemed to haunt me. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If any of you, if any of those verses ever bothered you before, be perfect as your, none of you, you've never been bothered by that? Oh, gee, I'm talking to the wrong group, you know. Okay, here's some honest people saying, yeah, Pastor, I've struggled with that too. I, I was so, just so relieved when I found out. I remember in Bible college talking to my, one of my professors that it didn't mean to be flawless, but it meant to accomplish the purpose that God had called you to do. The concept of God's holiness, and I want you to hear this, the concept of God's holiness is the single best argument that human beings did not make up the idea of God. Because human beings would not have made up a concept of an all-holy God. They would have made up a concept of a loving God. They would have made a concept of a forgiving God. They would have made a concept of a merciful God, but a powerful God. 
A God that is totally perfect and holy that will hold us to His standards that would say, be perfect as I am perfect. Fulfill your purpose. A God that would say those things to us and that one day would judge us. Human beings would stop well short of that according to many philosophers, according to many theologians, because when you look at other religions and the gods that they have made, none of those gods are perfect like our God is holy and holds His people to the same standards like our God does. So many of the gods of this world are flawed just like we are. They mirror the very flaws that you and I have. They mirror the very failures that you and I have. When I was praying for us just a few moments ago, I reminded us of how in the midst of the storm that Jesus stood up and spoke peace to that storm. I <clears throat> got out of the bed and went and stood at the window during that magical, divine display of power this week when the thunderstorms rolled through here and all of the rain that fell. And the next morning, our street was a river. Our backyard, because we drained several other backyards through our backyard, it was just a huge pond. And then I began getting the reports of people whose basements were flooded and without power. And then the same storm came through, <coughs> pardon me, and suddenly I was aware once again of the awesome power of God. And I cried out to him, Lord, speak peace to the storm. And as I stood there at the, 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 the window this week looking out and watching the lightning, and I relived in my mind for just a moment what those disciples must have felt when Jesus stood at the prow of that boat and said, Peace be still. And suddenly this straight line storm stopped and the waves settled down. And what the disciples must have felt in the presence of Jesus, they knew for sure then they were in the presence of someone like no one else they had ever known, heard of, or been with before who could speak to a storm and cause it to stop who could speak to a Katrina and cause it to stop, who could speak to a tornado and cause it to stop. In that moment, they must have pinched themselves just to be sure this was real. It's why the very first words that you and I will speak when we see Jesus, probably what Zoltan spoke when he was ushered into the presence of God, it will be holy, holy, holy art thou, Lord God Almighty suddenly we will be seized with that same awareness. And I wonder, are we willing today to acknowledge how fortunate we are this side of eternity, how fortunate Zoltan was this side of eternity to come into the presence of God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and lift our hands and say, holy, holy, holy art thou Lord God Almighty. Can we give him a praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. When was the last time that you thanked God that He was committed to making you holy as well? When was the last time you got on your knees or you lifted your hands in worship 
Because not only does God do a work on the outside of us of saving us from our sins, but God begins to do a work in us that He's still doing in me and He's doing in you. And He finished in our dear brother this week. God is doing an inside work of making us more and more like Jesus Christ, conforming us to the image of Christ so that we might be the holy people of God. Can we give him another hand of praise? I'm so thankful for that. For the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once from all time. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. He puts his new nature within us, and it's something that's instant and complete. The moment I confess my sins and invite Jesus Christ into my life, but in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7 and 8, there's an interesting verse that I want you to look at with me this morning. Leviticus says, so set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Would you look at that verse in your outline for just a moment and circle the word set and circle the word apart. Do that right now because this is going to be very important in the later in the message. Circle the word set and circle the word apart. Now, for me as a young Christian, and maybe for you, this is a scary verse. This is a scary verse that the Lord is calling us to be holy people because when I think of holiness, I'm, I'm used to thinking of God. I'm used to thinking of Jesus. But when God says He's going to make me holy, <coughs> when God says He's going to make me holy, there was a part of me went, yeah, right. Maybe the pastor... <laughs> Maybe my mom and my dad, but me, right. And maybe you've thought that before at times, that where God is, you've read those verses, and God says He's determined to make you holy, and there's a part of you who went, go, ha, I know me. I know what's in my heart. I know what I'm like. I know what I struggle with. I know my thoughts. It's an intimidating thought. It's, a, it's an unrealistic thought for me to ever think that I could be holy. But let me tell you now why I had you circle those two words, set apart. Because the word literally means set apart. That's what holy means. I have been set apart for God. You have been set apart for God. Let me illustrate it like this. Becky and I set ourselves apart exclusively for one another. We are in the process of growing daily together as a couple. On our anniversary trip that we just celebrated, we had so many memories. We looked at so many pictures. We made so many new memories. One day we were in uh, uh, Chimney Rock, North Carolina, and we were just kind of wandering through, and all of a sudden we, 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 we were sitting outside having an ice cream, and this young lady and this young woman and her daughter walked up to us, and she goes, are you Dennis Clanton? And I go, yes, I am. And she introduced herself and her daughter, and we sat there and we talked for a while. And I've told you the story about her father before and how her father built a business and 
tithed 90% and lived off of 10%. And, and uh, as we were talking together, and she was telling me what all God had done in her life and how her family was serving the Lord and how her daughter was serving Christ, we had just this most wonderful, holy moment to see what God was doing inside of her life. And when she walked away, I looked at Becky and I said, do you realize how many stories we're going to get to hear like that in eternity of people's lives that have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. One dad's decision to follow God. One dad's decision to put Christ first. And now there is a legacy of children and grandchildren that serve him. And so when I read this passage today, and I see what God is doing in my life, and I see what God is doing in your life, there's something amazing that strikes me, that God is making you holy or perfect. He's making me holy or you perfect, but he's doing this by grace. Look at me. He's perfecting us by grace. Is that for me? You are such, you are the daughter sent from heaven this morning. Would you give my daughter a hand? Thank you, Amy. I'm actually glad we're not online right now with the struggle I'm having with my voice. That phrase, perfected by grace. Say that with me. Perfected by grace. Now, Becky is working on her master's. And she's constantly coming to me, and she's constantly telling me, I got a, a nail on this one, and I'll go, I am so disappointed. I wanted to see an A+. Plus. You can do better than that. She got 100 on this one. I go, wait a minute, honey. You could have got, if you just did the extra time, you could have got the bonus points and got maybe 115 points. I am so disappointed in you. Of course, we're laughing, and, and I realize I'm married not only to a beautiful woman, but to a genius woman, you know, and... I, and she's just, she's working so hard at getting it right. And I thought to myself, where was she at when I was going to school? Why couldn't she have taken my test for me? Have you ever wished a really smart kid in class could take your test for you? Well, that's what it means, perfected by grace. Because you see, Jesus is the only one that ever passed the test completely. Jesus is the only one that ever passed and kept all of the Old Testament laws perfectly and completely. And God says to you and God says to me, look, you can either let my son take the test for you and you can pass, you can get 100% because I will see you through the blood of Jesus, or you can try and pass it on your own, but here's the bad news, you've already failed the test. How many of you want Jesus to take the test for you? Let's give him a hand of praise for that. That is what perfected by grace means. Uh, once in a while, I, I'll, I'll do this what if game in my mind. I'll just start playing the what if. What if we had this much money? What if we had this kind of talent? What if we had this? And, and, and that came out of when I was younger, I would play this what if game with myself. I would say, what if I could do what other people do? What if I was as strong as other people? What if I didn't have this disability or this colostomy or this? And I would imagine this what if game. It was helpful for me to begin to try and imagine a picture. But what I've learned in life, and even though I struggled even in my early years as a Christian, 
even though I struggled even in my early years of a marriage and I went and got counsel, I had to finally just go and get professional help because there was a part of me that was angry at God because of how I was born. And then one day with the prayerful help of a counselor, it was like God spoke to me and says, I can top all your what ifs if you will stop comparing yourself to everybody else and simply let me be God in your life. Friends, when you allow Jesus to be Lord of everything, then you begin to enjoy the joy of a good life. Does that make sense this morning? You then begin to enjoy the joy of a good life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And oh, this is so rich. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ how many of you belong to Christ? Can I see your hand? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. That old life of sin is done away with. The new life in us is the life of Christ. It's the life of the Holy Spirit. It's life without sin. It's a life that God has placed instead of us. And when I read this verse, I realize God has powerful plans for our lives. God has powerful plans for our lives. And when you look at that word and you write that word powerful down, remember Jesus speaking to the storm. Remember Jesus casting out demons with all it took was the tip of his finger or a word from his mouth. Remember that all power in heaven and earth and the universe belong to God and God is this God of all power has a plan for your life that will top every what if that you could imagine. The Bible tells us that humanity is basically divided into two camps according to Romans 1. There's the camp that tell the truth to themselves about who God is and how he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. There's the camp of people who worship God, honor God, submit their lives to him, and they recognize the holiness of God. And by doing that, on this side of eternity, they receive Christ and they worship him as Lord of their lives. And then the Bible tells us there's another camp of people and they refuse to acknowledge the truth about God. And they refuse to honor God. And they refuse to bow down to him. And they look for every reason, even to the point of making themselves their own idols in the forms of things that sometimes just blow our minds and how people could believe in that. I, I mean, God, who created the universe out of nothing, and you want to tell me that nothing times nothing collided and created the universe as we know it? If I understand anything about math, nothing times nothing is nothing. And God who simply spoke, and whether you want to believe it was 6,000 years or 10,000 years, or as long as you know that God created and designed this universe, I'm not going to argue about all of that. I believe what the Bible says. <coughs> but what I want you to know is, somehow or another, you have got to understand 
that Jesus Christ, who is the greatest human being that ever lived, Jesus Christ, who was sinless, Jesus Christ, who was perfect, Jesus, who was all love, all grace, all mercy, all healing, and all power, God has said, I am determined to make you like Jesus. Let's give him another hand of praise for that today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now look at your neighbor this morning, if you know him, and say, you ain't there yet but you're going to be just like Jesus. Barbara, you ain't there yet, but you're going to be just like Jesus. Vic, you ain't there yet, but you're going to be just like Jesus. But let me tell you something. You both come a long way, baby. You both come a long way because it's what God does in our life. It's what we call sanctification. It's what God is doing in our lives as he sanctifies us and makes us holy. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now, if you just read this, if you just read this and go, oh yeah, I know that. You have missed it. You are a dum-dum. Okay? You ever seen that movie? You want to wrap your mind around this. You want to reach out and say, God, help me to reach out and think about this and meditate upon this. Help me to get this. Now, oh, glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, the power that could steal a storm, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think infinitely more, greater than your what-ifs, greater than your dreams, greater than your imaginations. God is saying, I am able to accomplish infinitely more in your, in your life than you might ever ask or think. Can we embrace that truth that God is going to eventually make us like Jesus Christ? And that little man who every week put candy in my hand, who every week gave me an embrace, who called and we had lunch together, that little man that would pass out Bibles with $20 bills and them to the waitresses, that little man stands in the presence of Jesus made whole and complete. And when I saw Zoltan, I always saw some of Jesus in him. But if I could see Zoltan right now, he would shine more brilliantly than the angels of heaven because he has been made complete in Christ. Can we give the Lord another hand of praise today? Come on, victory. So what do we do while that's taking place in our life? We, we do the possible with faith that God does the impossible, and we call that faith. We do the possible with faith in Him that God does the impossible, and that's called faith because the Bible just said God works in us. Say that with me. God works in us. God works through us. And God works with us. In us, with us, and through us. That's a majestic thought. I don't have to wait to be perfect. I have been set apart. I have been made holy by the blood of Jesus. And yet there is something taking place in my life that your inner character, my inner character are lining up more and more with who Christ is every day. Now, 
I am quite aware. It's why I journal. Matter of fact, I was talking to Becky and the kids because the older you get, you wonder sometimes, have I been too transparent in my journal? Because I wanted my kids, I remember even when they were, I wanted them to see the struggles, the conflicts. So as they were adults and now they're in their, you know, they're all growing up and raising children of their own. And I realized, I wonder sometimes if I've been too transparent. And there are volumes and volumes of those journals through the years. And, but in those journals, I have been just so gut-level honest, whether it's been anger or fear, whether it's been jealousy or temptation. I've been so gut-level honest of what I've written there. And I realize now how precious that journal has become because it's been my conversation with God and His conversation with me and not just a diary recapping the weather was nice today, I had a nice pizza today, I had a nice visit with friends today, but it's been this ongoing conversation to look back and to say, this is what God has done. Have you ever been that honest with yourself? Because we're always tempted, we're always tempted to overlook our flaws and to think better of ourselves. We're always tempted to say of our life, it's good enough. And the only way I can accept good enough when it comes to eternity is when Jesus said, it's finished upon the cross. Because I will never be good enough until I stand in his presence. But Jesus said, it's enough. Grace makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Because he passed the test. It's why Paul would write these very transparent words. And again, I'm going to ask you not just to let me read them to you, but think of, these are such transparent words that Paul is going to write. I'm not saying that I have all this together. I'm well on my way. I'm reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and I'm running and I'm not turning back. <laughs> Read that last line with me. I'm off and I'm running and I'm not turning back. Read it one more time. I'm off and I'm running, and I'm not turning back. I'm not going to let discouragement over the fact that I'm not there yet stop me from running the race. I'm off, and I'm running, and I'm not turning back. Here's what I've discovered in life, friends. 
It's harder to be a sinner than it is to be a Christian. Because God created this universe and its laws. God created this planet for you and I to live upon according to his laws. If I go against the law of God, it's like going against the grain of wood and I will get a splinter in my life. Last night, I got up and there had been a a wooden basket beside our bed that I could drop things into while I was in bed this week. And, And when I got up and put my foot on the floor, evidently a splinter had broken off that basket. And so about an inch long splinter went into my foot and I pulled it out. And I thought again about the message this morning. I thought, Lord, what a great reminder. Because when you go against the laws of God, You're going against the laws of the universe that God created for this world to work in. The whole creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God because creation realizes this world wasn't made for the devil. This world wasn't made for sin. This world was made for Christ and his people and his glory. And it works according to the laws of a holy God. And suddenly I realize that creation is supporting me. All of the angels of heaven are supporting me. All of heaven is there for you. And the resources of an unlimited, all-powerful God, they are there to support you and I as we become more like Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Think about that. Blessing is the word the Bible uses to describe that. In a few moments, we're going to read Psalms 128 together, but Psalms 128 is one of my favorite psalms from the Bible because it it begins with blessing. It's filled with blessings. It ends with blessings. And blessings are where our lives are free from debilitating addictions, where our lives are free from jealousy, where our lives are free from a guilty conscience or unhealthy relationships, where our lives are free from condemnation. And if you don't know this life of blessing, then you are sucking in the sugar-coated lies of deceit that the world gives you, that this world was not created by a holy God, and that this universe is not governed by a holy God. You're in that camp of people who have deceived themselves. But if you have come to Christ, to him who is able to make all things perfect, God will make you holy. So here are three phrases in your your growth work I want you to remember. Number one, I want you to remember the phrase that Christ did. He came down. It's called justification. He came down. And does that surprise us? God came down to talk to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Does it surprise you God came down at that very first Christmas that we're getting ready to celebrate in just a few months to save us and to raise us up a new life. And when God came down, he did something so amazing. He took off his outer garments and he wrapped himself with a towel and he knelt down to wash the feet of his disciples. Do you know that feet were the dirtiest part of a human being in those days? 
walking in sandals or barefooted in roads that had no sewage for the animals, roads that were not cleaned up. And so when uh, the lowest of servants would wash somebody's feet, they would come in and they would have to knelt down and get wet. And the moment they begin washing the feet of those guests that came into the house, instantly they were unclean. They're ritually, for the Jewish people, they were unclean. And yet Jesus did that for his disciples. It's what made Calvary so challenging. Not that Jesus died, but the sinless Son of God took your sin upon himself, my sin upon himself, for you and for me. You see, you can't serve without getting your hands wet and dirty. The Bible says Jesus poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the servant's towel with which he was girded. Isn't that what Christ did for us when he saved us? He washed us in his blood. Do you remember when we used to sing that song, Are You Washed in the Blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Oh, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Jesus washed us. This is that outside in. He washes us free of our sins. He cleans us and makes us something we've never been before. And suddenly we discovered this is my Father's world. The second phrase I want you to remember is come out. It's what I've been talking about this morning. It's the doctrine of sanctification. It's a conviction we live by. You see, sanctification is when God begins that work inside of us. We're set apart when we're justified. But now God begins to sanctify us and we are becoming more and more like Jesus. You, you could illustrate it like this. You save a man from drowning by getting him out of the water. That's called justification. But sanctification is when you begin to express the water out of the man who's drowned. Does that make sense? It's what God is doing in us as he's changing our desires, as he's changing our hearts and our lives. Let me illustrate it another way. When Lazarus died, Jesus stood at the, at the tomb, at the entrance of the tomb after they'd rolled away the stone, and he cried out according to John 11, Lazarus, come out! The Bible says he said it in a very loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his feet wrapped in a, and his face wrapped in a headcloth, but interestingly, Jesus said this. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. It's the power of God that saves us and gives us new life. But we have a role to play as we set one another free of our expectations and our demands of perfection. And we look at one another and we go, you know what? You're good enough because Jesus passed the test. Now would you look at your neighbor one more time and say, you know what? You're good enough because of Jesus. Dorinda, you're good enough because of Jesus. 
Well, doesn't that make all the difference in the world? There's going to be no recall on you. There's not going to be no, oh, we need to replace this because we let it go because it was just good enough. God has started a work in you that he says he's going to finish. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? He's going to finish. It's why small groups are so important. It's why church is so important. Because when we come together, we loosen one another up. How many of you could be loosened up a little bit today? Can I see your hands? How many of you, you need to be maybe just a little more constrained? We all could stand to be loosened up a little bit. And this is why community is so important. And then finally, and we're going to pray, it's what we're all waiting for. I want you to remember this phrase, come home. It's called glorification. And Zoltan had no idea how he was going to help me preach this message this morning. But that's what happened to Zoltan Vey this week. Because he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Zoltan, come home. Come home. Yes, we are fully confident And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Look at that. Home with the Lord. Say it with me. Home with the Lord. Say it again. Home with the Lord. Home. Home. I'm so thankful. And for me, that word brings such wonderful, happy, joyous, and positive memories home. But my home will not compare with the home that Jesus has prepared for you and He's prepared for me. And I won't be there because I did my best. I will be there because Jesus passed the test. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm taking his score. Lord, I'm standing in his blood. Lord, I believe you are who you say you are. And for those countless, countless numbers of people that will stand and say, Lord, we are here by the grace of God, the blood of Jesus. But the tragedy is there will be far many, many more that will stand there and say, Lord, we didn't believe. God, we didn't believe. It is why these matters that we teach and preach are so important. Because church is not about making us feel good. Church is about equipping us to be blessed so that we can go out into the world and be living lamps, living lights, living witnesses wherever we go, sharing the good news You're good enough will never be good enough. But you can be good enough because of Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want us to read 
Psalms 128 together. So if you'll go ahead and put that up on the screen for me this morning. This is going to be my prayer, my blessing from the Word of God over you this morning. Notice that first phrase, all you who fear God. If you fear and reverence the Lord, would you read this out loud with me this morning? All you who fear God, how blessed you are. How happily you walk on His smooth, straight road. You worked hard and deserve all you've got coming. Enjoy the blessing. Revel in the goodness. Your wife will bear children as a vine bears grapes. Your household lush as a vineyard. The children around your table as fresh and promising as young olive shoots. Now, notice what God is doing here in this psalm. He's saying the blessing of God brings increase. The blessing of God brings vigor. The blessing of God brings prosperity. It brings productivity. The blessing of God in your life, it produces a community. It produces generosity. This is what God's blessing does. And then he goes on to say, stand in awe of God. Read it with me. Stand in awe of God. Yes, oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. Enjoy the good life in Jerusalem every day of your life and enjoy your grandchildren. Peace to Israel. Do you remember when I said a few moments ago the disciples knew when Jesus spoke to that storm, we're in the presence of someone that's different than anyone else we've ever seen before. Beloved, we are in the presence of God Almighty. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray this prayer upon us. For indeed, Lord Jesus, there is no one like you. We reverence you. We worship you. We stand in awe of you. And if it were not for the revelation of your grace and your goodness, we would be like Peter before he understood. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm not good enough. Oh, but Jesus, I thank you this morning that you have imparted not only your goodness and your righteousness and your holiness to us, but you are 100% committed to making us a people that are just like Jesus. So I am confident as I pray over this church today that as we leave this place, the people will see Jesus in us and through us. They will sense the touch of Jesus and we need the power of God to bless them when we need, Lord, the words of Christ to heal them. Lord, when we need the faith to pray for them. Jesus, when we can meet a need, we will do it all in your name. And may we each and every one, O oh Lord, live vibrantly for you until we hear you say, come home, come home. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, 
Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I love you. Go in peace this morning.